0: Welcome to the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host, and I'm here with our executive producer and co-host, Mark Griffith. Thank you so much for stopping into the Housing Hour. Grab a cup of coffee. I hope that you guys are ready for a great conversation, and uh, we really look forward to this next hour, and we appreciate everybody who, who is here with us. Um, we want to thank Mortgage Investors Group, certainly for being our sponsor, Mortgage Investors Group, MIGOnline.com, celebrating 25 years of American dreams come true. Um, We want to thank them. This show would certainly not be possible if it was not for them. Um, We also want to direct you guys a couple of different places before we welcome in our guest, and that is uh, the mothership of all information for The Housing Hour, and that is thehousinghour.com. You can go there and select any series that you'd like to learn about. Um, We have just a treasure trove of information in our website
1: and we're giving away some free books so if we have a free book tab um at the top of it click on that it'll tell you how to go about getting a free autographed yeah. book i don't care what party you're in republican or democrat free is always good <laughs> Free's good and these
0: books are great unless it's subsidized then maybe maybe not i don't know but anyway <laughs> so go click there you can sign up for our newsletter for information that we can send out to you uh, mark is really um Reformed, redid the website and added some uh, capacity to it. And uh, it's a great place. And you can also share this show after we get done today. You can go back and share it on social. You can email it and all that good stuff because an important topic for Tennesseans and frankly, all Americans is the decision that will be made come November for the election of our next U.S. Senator from the state of Tennessee. And our guest today is Terry Adams. He is the owner founder of Terry Adams Law Firm or Adams Law Firm, and also Admiral Title. And I do want to disclose they are a sponsor of this show. That will certainly not keep me from asking the questions that need to be asked, but I do need to just uh, make that clear. Um, and Terry came on, I guess, back when maybe a little bit after you had first announced. Um, but Terry, first of all, thank you for coming in and joining us. Thank you guys, so much for having me. Absolutely. And Terry is such a passionate person, Mark. and and you know you can barely keep him in his chair last time when we had him. He was just so excited. And so, you know, the reason he's excited, I, I think that you know, I get a little bit passionate too when i when I see somebody that is so into what they're doing. and 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 I, it clearly is demonstrated when you watch some of the videos that Terry does that he has done and and also some of his stump speeches that he's given. But rather than me stealing his thunder, I'd like for Terry to tell us the story about what happened, what it was like, where he's come from. Um, because the whole dad pumping the gas story, the tear, just please, if you don't mind, give us the 30,000 foot view of
2: Terry Adams, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, you know, my name is you know, Terry Adams, and I'm running for the United States Senate. Check. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I tell people a lot, my my favorite quote from Teddy Roosevelt was, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, I watched my mother work her fingers to the bone. She worked three, sometimes four jobs trying to make ends meet, and when it came right down to it, she still couldn't do what any parent wants to be able to do, and that's to take care of her own son. So she dropped me off at my father's one-bedroom apartment in Nashville. My dad pumped gas for a living. And at that moment, he dedicated the next 11 years of his life to, raise, to doing nothing but raising me. When I got into college, um, I saw pain in his eyes. And it was pain, not joy, because he knew that he couldn't do the most fundamental thing that a parent wants to do when their child graduates high school, and that's to help them pay for their higher education. But in the America of my youth, all was not lost. See, I joined the Navy. I paid for college with the help of the Montgomery GI Bill, with Pell Grants, with student loans. I went to law school. I married a beautiful girl. We started a business. And now I'm on your radio show today, a uh, veteran, a small business owner, and a candidate for the United States Senate.
0: That's awesome. Know. That And that's that's exactly what it's all about. And, you know, when I think of Terry Adams, you know, I've known you for a long time. And you always, people always want to place labels. You know, they want to say he's a conservative. Oh, he's a liberal oh, he's a, you know, he believes in this school of thought. And, and you know, you're running as a Democrat. So, you know, as a Democrat, of course, you have certain party things that you just automatically believe in. And I, I you know, I asked Siri, actually, um, earlier today, <laughs> what the definition of a Democrat, a liberal was, and what a definition of a conservative was. And, you know, it was a Funny thing to do, just to see what the what the thing said. And and one of the things that cons- the the definitions of conservative was against change. That was one of the definitions from the dictionary that they are against change. And one of the one of the definitions of liberal was that they want to change things without a revolution. Mm-hmm. You know. So first of all, why why do you get it? Why did you get into this race? What do you plan to accomplish? And are you are you really serious
2: about winning this election i guess that's a loaded questions but well yeah i mean you know i will start with the latter i mean i'm i'm seriously serious about <laughs> winning this election i mean i i will tell you right now that there is it's our democracy is at stake i mean we are 17 trillion dollars in debt the rich are getting richer the poor are getting poor and the middle class is evaporating. Our democracy, Washington, D.C. itself, has been hacked. It's been hijacked. It's been held back by corporations, by billionaires, and by special interests. And I'll tell you something else. Uh, Our veterans, many of them, are hurting. In fact, 22 veterans every single day take their own life. That's a catastrophic failure of our government, notwithstanding the Veterans Administration scandal that's going on right now. So something absolutely has to be done. When I looked at this race, I said... First, or would people of Tennessee support a person who is a small business owner, a Washington outsider who's never sought public office before? Um, and I look back and I saw, you know, that Tennesseans have traditionally, traditionally supported people uh, who were just Tennesseans, just hardworking people, people who you know own a business, who are you know a veteran, a small business owner. Um and and a person who is just making a living here in town. Um, and so when I thought about Jim Sasser when he ran, and he had never sought public office before, when I saw that you know uh, Bill Frist ran and, and he had never sought public office before, uh, i I thought that the people of Tennessee, and given the times that we're in, would be ready for a change. And, uh, you know, I looked at Lamar Alexander's voting record, and then since I've announced, it's just gotten gotten worse. I mean, in February, he voted against the Veterans Bill that would have helped the Veterans Administration fully fund, hire doctors and nurses that they need, uh, have more hospitals and clinics built to service the 2.5 million veterans who have served in the Iraq and Afghanistan war. 670,000 of those who are uh, in some way disabled? Mm. Uh, you know that needed that that needed to get done, and Lamar Alexander failed us on that end. I support a, an increase in the minimum wage. I support an increase in the minimum wage because it is fundamentally the right thing to do. I mean, everything else has gone up in the last five years except for the minimum wage. People who are uh, working forty hours a week are living in poverty. And then the American people, the taxpayers, are subsidizing the labor force of companies like Walmart and McDonald's while they're making world-shattering, earth-breaking profits. And then they're taking that money, investing it in hedge funds, which are putting the money in Brazil and China, and not one dime is staying in America. Let me ask
0: you a question. Because
2: a lot of people who hear what you're saying, and I mean, I'm on
0: board with raising the minimum wage but to take the other position just so that you know we can have some some transparency here we're 17 trillion dollars in debt you mentioned that mm-hmm. right so when we start thinking about you know increasing the wages for americans which i do believe is a good idea the 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 thing that people say is well wait a minute you're going to make us pay more money well we're going to stop hiring as much and so, if we stop hiring as much, then that money that you think is coming back into the economy is actually not, because we're having to lay off twenty-five people just to keep the fifteen. So, what would you say to that
2: comment? I, and I'm glad you asked that because it's a it's a, a poignant question. the The reality is, when you raise the minimum wage, and and listen, we're not talking about this in a vacuum. This is not you know people in in some classroom talking hypotheticals we've raised the minimum wage consistently over time for 75 years and and you know all of those things that people try to say is going to happen never happen what actually happens is demand increases immediately for all products and services especially for locally owned small businesses so take for instance if you make two hundred and seventy five dollars a week which is what you make if you work forty hours a week on the minimum wage and over the next three years, you get an additional $125 or so a week in income. Where are you going to spend that money? Most people spend that money at home in small businesses. You know, they, they uh, hire a babysitter and they go out one night and they might go to the movie theater. They might go out to eat instead of having to stay home. Or they, you know, they might, uh, you know, buy something else at the grocery store that they've been putting off. They may uh, be able to put their kids in childcare, um, after school care, things of that sort. They might even be able to save a little bit of money for their future so if the worst case scenario happens and they do lose their job that you know that, that there's some buffer some cushion that those things help the economy a lot more than uh, the the marginal increases in prices is what what most people worry about because in, in reality when you uh, when you increase demand like happens when you increase the minimum wage the reality of the situation is pe- people aren't laying anybody off because they need the people there. You know, everybody sitting here are business people. I can tell you, you know, <clears throat> if, if I get more customers in our title company, I'm not laying anybody off. Right. I, I you know, you can't do it. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, you probably hire more people. Yeah. Um, and well, I tend to agree with that mm-hmm. theory because if you have
0: more money in your pocket, which is ultimately what raising the minimum wage does, then those, Monies that you have are going to be spent. Well, it may be to buy things that you need that you mm-hmm. just hadn't been able to buy before. So I'm on board with that. I mean,
1: I one of the other things is we're at the largest um, period of time since World War II that the production to wages gap is significantly mm. more than any other time in our history. Which means that the big companies are making more money, but they're not pushing it down to the wage level. So the wage earners aren't seeing the benefits of the productivity. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge gap. Well, so why this isn't is, that simple math. Translate
0: down to our leaders right now. No, oh,
1: well, because
2: who who owns Washington Walmart Wall Street <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> almost it's a wall it's a- but it, it is and and that's the thing it, you know th- this is a bait and switch kind of issue. I mean you know when we start talking about the kind of money that's being made and not getting back down to us and people still trying to force supply-side economics down on normal working people, it it becomes ridiculous there uh, a, a fellow named David Tepper, um, a Wall Street hedge fund advisor made three point five billion dollars last year. That was what he made. He made three point five billion. billion. Donald Sterling
0: doesn't have anything on him. <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> I mean, and you you start thinking about you know, oh, okay, well, he he pulled three point five billion dollars out of the economy. What what did he produce? You know, did he did he produce you refined? Know, 200,000 cars? No. Mm. Did he create, uh, you know, 50,000 jobs? No, he didn't create any jobs. He didn't, you know, he didn't produce any cars. All of that money that he earned, I guarantee you, went right back in to hedge fund investments that mm. generally go overseas, and they don't help America.
1: So the trickle-down effect of economics isn't really trickling on a lot of people,
2: is it? No, no, it's it's never trickled. And yeah. <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, if you, I, I've been waiting for it for a long time, and it's, and it's just not going to. I mean, the fact of the matter is that uh, you, you have to reward work in the United mm-hmm. States of America. Yeah. And if we don't, you know, all an economy is is a set of rules. And if we don't have rules in place that help us build a, a strong and robust middle class, then the America that we grew up in will not be here for our children.
0: And I take Apple as an example, a perfect example, actually, of what a, a good American company should be like because, you know, they're innovative. They're creating products. They're actually manufacturing products. Now they probably should build some of their products in Chattanooga rather than where they do. <laughs> Terry's
1: going to work on that for us. So. Let, That's exactly right. But <laughs> let's face it,
0: that the, they are on the cutting edge of technology and they just had an announcement last week about what all they're doing. They just bought Beats by Dre, you know, because they saw value in what Dr. Dre had created. Um, They're overpriced headphones, but it's something that is useful, and they're good. So... You know, those are the type of things, Terry, that that I think, you know, because you're going to have when you're elected, you're going to have these enumerated powers as a senator. And that's powerful. That's more power than than or equal to what the president of the United States has. And so if we can speak to the people who make decisions and, and and get a get a team together of common sense and just make this thing work, we've got the tools. We just have to use them the right way. This is a conversation with a candidate for U.S. Senate, Terry Adams with the housing hour. We'll be right back after these messages.
2: The housing hour with Kevin Ray continues helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray.
0: Welcome back into the housing hour. It's Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host with Terry Adams, U.S. Uh, Senator candidate. about said you're a U.S. Senator. Not quite yet, but um, that's what the hope is for Terry, and that's what his goal is, and that's what his dream is. And and so we're having him in studio with us. Um, we have a call out to Lamar Alexander. We certainly would love for him to agree to come on our show. Um, so we're waiting for a response from his people, and we hope maybe that he would agree to come on and, and maybe answer some of the same questions so that we could have both sides of the aisle represented. Um, we're certainly an equal opportunity show and we'd love to have that opportunity to uh senator alexander and his staff so anyway um and you know there there's there's a lot to be said for 40 years in office in 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 public service and in one of your speeches, you talk about, you know, the last time that Senator Alexander or that Alexander was not a part of the public um, domain was uh, when Senator or when the president of the United States, Nixon was being impeached mm-hmm. and the Vietnam war was winding down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a long time ago. And and you hear, and, and you know, this is what I want Senator Alexander to, to answer to, because this is just third party. I hear this from other people that are criticizing him and that he won't return phone calls Mm -hmm. that he he will not return phone calls. He will not return emails independently or from, from other candidates or from people that want to talk to him and share ideas. He's resigned his Republican leadership. Mm -hmm. So he's not even on the Republican leadership anymore. And he says he wants to do that so that he can, he can, he can work with the Democrats is what he said some time ago. So Terry, people outside of Washington, look at this situation and just like you've said it, it seems that it's broken it seems that what's happening in washington just isn't working i don't understand how we can have approval ratings in the single digits single digits but yet they have the highest return rating as far as being re-elected and and i just don't get that terry could, could you i know this is you know, me sounding like I'm on your side and and I guess maybe I am in certain situations, but could you just help me to understand why it is that senators have such a low approval rating, but yet they're being, they're
2: being reelected hand over fist. Well, it's, it's one of the most critical issues that our generation is going to face. If we don't get money out of politics, big money out of politics, the, the democracy will never be fixed. What you don't like about politics, what people hate about politics, it it will always be corrupt. And, you know, when you when you've got a Supreme Court that has taken the side that just says corporations are people, which if you have any common sense whatsoever, you would say that's not true. Elizabeth Warren said, "Corporations don't dance." I mean, that's that's a perfect analogy to say, you know, why why corporations are not people. They don't they don't have children, they don't die, they don't get sick, they live forever, and th- those kind of entities should not be treated under
0: conservatorship or whatever. But maybe not yeah. forever.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, corporations generally, you know, yeah. I mean, can they li- yeah. can, they can live into perpetuity under the law? Hmm. Um, and. You Especially know. if we bail them out. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. And then, and so you you have this issue where uh, so the Supreme Court says corporations are people, and then they say money is speech. Um, you know, I, I mm. saw a fellow at the at the White House uh, uh, when I went down uh, to D.C. this past weekend, and he had a sign. He said, "I wish I could afford some speech." <laughs> 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 and I I thought. That uh, sort of hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? I mean, when, when you start talking about money being equivalent to political speech, it, it just does not pass the smell test Mm-mm. at all.
1: Can I, can I ask a question uh, you know going back to Kevin's uh, question isn't also part of this gerrymandering where oh, they've, yes. they've uh, outlined these congressional districts to where it's almost rigged that this guy's going to get in
2: regardless of his popularity that's that's true and you know that's true in the in the uh, House of Representatives now of course that's not true in in the United States Senate races because the borders are fixed uh, so you don't really worry about that in the Senate but the, the, but the problems that, with the house, is a serious issue. And as a matter of fact, we, we had uh, two congressmen in the state of Tennessee, John Tanner and, and uh, Jim Cooper, who uh, brought up a bill to try to address that, and it just fell flat. I mean, it, it got no wind in its sails whatsoever. And I, I thought to myself, how can we continue to look at ourselves in the mirror every single day, knowing we're rigging the system? It's rigged. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and knowing that we're doing it to the detriment of the American people. Ultimately to the detriment of our children. Yeah. And I, I
1: can't understand And it. all my friends complain about it. They say, why does this guy keep on getting elected? Mm-hmm. I said
2: because he's in a district that is going to vote for him, whether they like him or not. That's right. And you know, and people ask me a lot about term limits. I I, I say you almost have to support term limits these days. Because, you know, it might be brain surgery with a hatchet, but if you really need brain surgery, I mean, a hatchet will do. Right, um, right. You know, I, I mean, we, we're at a point where it's not going to be fixed, that money is going to continue to buy our representatives and our senators over and over and over again. And and what we absolutely need is we, we need a, a an amendment. To the Constitution that says corporations are not people, money's not speech, and the uh, and the United States Senate and Congress are allowed to make laws to uh, prohibit certain types of donations and to limit others.
0: Well, here's a question: um, inside of the Washington D.C. you know pipeline, you have companies that are huge, you know, contributors to mm-hmm. these big-time people like the McConnells, the Harry Reid's. I mean, it's not not Republican or Democrat. It happens on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just happen on the Republican side, and it doesn't happen just on the Democrat side. And so would a good solution, and I'm not kidding you, would a good solution be that each senator has to wear a jacket that has the company's labels that are sponsoring them (laughs) when they're on the Senate floor? Because then they know, well, here's- Kind of like NASCAR. It's like NASCAR, exactly. Yeah. And so then they know, oh, okay, well, he's he's representing big oil. Because that's kind of what it feels like. I mean, I'm joking. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But it, it's kind of how it feels. When you hear somebody talking on the floor about a particular issue, it's almost like a chess game and, and or even a play, let's say. And that person has their part. And you know that that person, exactly what they're going to say and what they're not going to say, because they, the script is already written. They're just filling in
2: the character of the script. Uh, that's that's true. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys are just playing a part because who's writing the bills? I'm, I can tell you right now, a lot of the congressmen and, uh, and senators that you know and love, they're not sitting down at their uh, Apple computer and typing out these bills. It's lobbyists, and it's right. lobbyists that work for the biggest corporations in the world, whether it's Lockheed Martin or Goldman Sachs or Boeing or whoever it is and they're not doing it to make sure that you know the middle class is strong and that america survives another century mm-hmm. uh, they're doing it to make sure that next quarter's profits are extraordinary and they make their bonuses and it's the three million type of profit
0: that you spoke about three billion tepper. three billion billion the tepper guy made three and a half billion it's not as if i mean some of these lobbyists i mean certainly i mean you're manufacturing oil so i get that i mean you are putting a product on the market i understand that um cars there's car lobbyists out there there's there's tobacco lobbyists and they're producing a manufacturing a product uh, but what i don't understand is how in the world can somebody get up there and this is just a perfect example of that but they come up there and they they speak for 22 hours about green eggs and ham and just whatever they are trying to do the filibuster that mm-hmm. that ted cruz i believe it ted was cruz, yeah. uh, and 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 th- yet they can come back to their to their districts or or their their state and say this is why i did this and this is why we shut down the government rather than trying to work through it so, so why did he do that as an example, Terry? Why did he stand up there for twenty? Is it because of one of the lobbyists said, you know, hey, you know, this is what you're getting paid to do. You got to stop this from
2: happening. Well, I, you know, I a yes. I, I mean, I think I think uh, that there there was a, a lot of lobbyists that were uh, pushing Ted to do what he did. Um, you know, you're on a first name basis with them. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna. Hold my tongue, <laughs> okay. you know, as as far as what I have to say about him. But the uh, but the reality is, uh, what Senator Cruz did that's so abhorrent to me is okay. The the shutdown cost twenty four billion dollars. Mm. It just so happens that the veterans bill that Alexander and Ted Cruz and his old and all of his cronies in the Senate uh, blocked also cost. 24 billion dollars. Now we can't afford to take care of our veterans. We can't afford to serve our veterans in a way that honors their service to us. But we can afford to shut the government down. And, That's a lot of billion. And Lamar Alexander stands by and says nothing and does nothing. Corker stands by and says nothing and does nothing. You know, We are represented in this state by three Multi-millionaire Republicans. Now, I think it's okay, maybe one multi-millionaire Republican, even two. But when our whole state is represented where there's not a voice of the working people in this state whatsoever, nobody's standing up for us, mm. where are we? Where, yeah. where, where are the 500,000 veterans in this state? Where is their voice It's it has been shuttered. It's been shut down.
1: They're busy on the eight hundred line trying to
2: get a doctor's appointment. Right, waiting six months, and and you know, and hopefully, hopefully, getting something somewhere. Well, well, okay, so so one of the other definitions of conservative
0: and liberal, one of them for conservative, was that they're against radical change. Like that's one of the things that they want to prevent. Which the Tea Party is completely not conservative. It is certainly it's it is all about radical change in their mind, but. One of the radical changes that I see that would be a great first step for a senator to come out publicly, and I have searched the internet, I have called my senator's office, and I have got no response. And that is why don't we say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 we have a VA hospital up in Johnson City. Let's find out exactly what the waiting list is, who exactly is on that waiting list, and let's demand that we have some sort of committee formed. And get these people the care that they need and, and give it out. You know, all t- doctors across the state of Tennessee would be more than willing to say, yeah, I'll give an hour of my time per week. I'll do that. Now, there's certain psycholog- psychological problems that would be prevented. They couldn't go probably to your family care practitioner for post-stress you know, traumatic. PTSD, center. yeah. But, you know, and, and I heard this from Haller and Hilton Hill. This isn't my original idea. But when I heard it, it, it rooted in me so quickly because wh- why, why isn't... All, Governor Christie, who was in Nashville just yesterday, why doesn't he stand up for the veterans of New Jersey and say, "I'm going to form, I'm going to take, I'm going to take charge here"? Why hasn't Haslam done that? Because if there is waiting lists, there's got to be waiting lists in in our
1: state, right? I think oh, they've done a, and, and there is, I, but I think we've done a pretty good job in in the state for veterans. And I I, I thought I read something. It may have been on Halloran Hilton's show. Well, how would we know? Well, because they don't even know who's on the waiting
0: list. There's back right. waiting. There's there's fake waiting lists. But what do you say, that Terry?
2: Well, I I think the first thing that we need to start thinking about is it, you know our global solutions. And I and I love the idea of you know I I, I believe that we ought to have a ninety day triage right now. Mm-hmm. You know, a we need to fix every single person that's that's uh, sitting on those waiting lists uh, up with somebody that can help them. Now, and whether or not it's uh, medical volunteers from the private sector, uh, w- uh, whether it's allowing them to go ahead and go to uh, a private sector uh, facility or public uh, uh, Which I think they somewhere. can. Yeah, well, you know, they ought to be. A, they, the, I think uh, John McCain had, had mentioned, you know, why, why don't veterans who are eligible have a, a card? You know, no no different than your Blue Cross Blue Shield card that they can walk in and say, listen, you know, I, I, right, I should that be makes covered. Sense. Um, you know, I think that kind of idea is important. But, you know, some of the things that the private sector does so good is, you know, they solve problems well. I mean, that's that's why I, I love markets. I love capital markets. Um, and and we they should be as free as we can possibly make them. Um,
0: Which is but, one of the liberal definitions, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. Uh, and... But the but the idea that, that we we should we should have a problem sourcing mechanism within the VA system because it is such a big organization where mm-hmm. if there is a problem that there is a place that you can go a a single uh, repository of you know this is the problem this is the solution that I I propose and then, you know, people and experts that can put those things into place.
0: And I mean, there was, you know, Tennessee's waiting list. I mean, who knows? Because in Arizona, there was 1,700 people that were not on the official waiting list. So anyway, uh, this has been a great conversation. I don't want you guys to think I'm all on Terry's side. It may sound like it. We have some differences of opinion. So we'll talk about those when we come back right after these messages. Good country.
2: The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. (laughs)
0: that actually sounded like one of terry's stump speeches right there bigger faster <laughs> stronger i think you have something in there but anyway before we get um back into the conversation i do want to um thank admiral title and adams law firm for sponsoring this show um they're a great company they, they do things the right way and very much what mig stands for is what they stand for see uh, phyllis who works there and is the owner co-owner and your beautiful wife, Mm -hmm. um, actually worked at mortgage investors group for quite a long time, actually, and took a lot of the same principles, which, you know, the main thing is, is that we go out of our way and do everything we can to make sure that we make sure the. the customers happy and that's one of the keystones to both companies so mig strongly supports what admiral does we feel very comfortable sending our clients to them and so should you if you want the job done right if you want them to be taken care of then admiral title would be the place to go so if you're a realtor if you are a lender or just somebody that needs to refinance or do a cash out or wants to pay for a house cash then call admiral title it's 865-531-6060 all right. Well, let's get back into our conversation. One of the big things that's happening and this is not something that would be under your or under your jurisdiction or something that you would necessarily um, decide on because it's a state issue and it revolves around Obamacare and Medicaid or Medicare expansion, Medicaid. correct? Medicaid. Medicaid. Medicaid expansion. So, Mark, I wanted you to set up the, the conversation because you seem to understand it a lot better than me.
1: Well, we had uh, guests before talking about Obamacare and uh, the Affordable Care Act. We, dis- we discussed that. And one of the pieces I never could understand is you know, the expansion of Medicaid. And since it's funded through Obamacare, whether that's good or bad. I know it adds to the debt of our country. But all the other states, some of the other states have signed on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kentucky did, and they added like four hundred, five hundred thousand 500,000 Medicaid patients who would have not had uh, health coverage. And it was added on to, to their bottom line. And everybody's very happy in Kentucky, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of curious, why didn't Tennessee expand? And I saw on Facebook, and you might want to tell folks how they can connect to you through uh, your web address and Facebook page. But I saw on Facebook, you were down on some uh, demonstrating for Medicaid, supporting Medicaid expansion in the state of Tennessee. Can you speak to that and what it means to you?
2: Absolutely. You know, uh, first off, yeah, people can find out a little bit more about a campaign at www.adamsfortn.com. That's adamsfortn.com. F-O-R-4? F-O-R-4. Yes. Um, and you know regarding uh, Medicaid expansion I mean uh, for for good or ill whether people agree with it or disagree with it right. uh, the uh, Patient Protection Affordable Care Act is the law of the land and there there is there, there was all kinds of issues with regards to uh, whether or not states had to expand uh, their Medicaid roles um, well the Supreme court decided that they didn't, um, they didn't have to, but everybody presumed that they would because in what kind of society, what kind of state would you live in where a governor of that state or even a legislature of that state would deny healthcare to its citizens that its citizens had already paid for. And when it, was discovered that people hate this president so much that they would deny health care to people who otherwise cannot get it, that they are letting as many as 3,000 Tennesseans die without any health care coverage in a year. Um, It it becomes to me a, a... a perfect example of what is wrong with politics today. Listen, if you don't trust the federal government to do what they say they're going to do in three years, then make make a plan say you know if, if they don't do what they say or we can't afford it in three years, we're opting out. you know we'll have to deal with it then. but but you know it, it's kind of like you know Mark, if, if you invite me uh, to go to dinner tonight and and you want to go to you know uh, Ruth Chris, I, and and it's on you. I, I'm I'm not going to worry about where I have to take you. But uh, I might say, don't order the lobster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, it, it, I don't understand how somebody can go to bed at night knowing people are suffering.
1: Okay, let me look on the the other side of that because uh, Haslam came out during that period of time uh, when it w- he planned to opt out, and the best reason I could read that the reason he made for that is because in 3 years or 4 years when 100% of this is no longer funded that it would be the state's responsibility to pay for the expansion of medicaid and whatever costs that incurred at that point in time uh then he didn't really feel that it was uh morally right to kick people off the, the
2: expanded role how what would your opinion of that be? That's idiotic logic and I, I hate to be that you know absolute blunt about it, but it, so it's immoral to take them off health care, but it's moral not to give it to them in the first place. Because it's they, already they, been paid for, but they never had it to begin with, so they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy talk. Right. To, I mean, well, this nobody's is holding them accountable. This is—I'm holding them accountable. Yeah. This is people's health. If you have, and listen, I, I grew up and and we didn't have any money, and I, most of the time I didn't have health care insurance. I didn't have health care insurance until I was out of college. I'm telling you, I know what it's like to be sick. And without healthcare insurance, without being able to see a doctor, I know what it's like to suffer. I've seen my family members suffer. I've seen my friends suffer. I have personally myself suffered when I, I would have loved to have been able to see a physician and to be helped. But when you're talking about people who have uh, life-threatening illnesses, illnesses like cancer, you know, illnesses like heart disease, things you know, high blood pressure, things that are going to take their life. And they can't go see somebody because we're playing politics. You got to be kidding me! I mean, I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. And there's and, and there's, no there's about three
1: hundred thousand uh, from the Kaiser.org dot um, estimates, I believe. Yeah, three hundred thousand
2: Tennesseans. I mean, it's not Americans. Three hundred thousand Tennesseans.
1: I see that you're lukewarm about this subject. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> glad, I had no idea. <laughs> glad, glad you brought it well,
0: up. No, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that you shared your opinion about that because Tennesseans want to know how you view um, of things in our state, and they want to hear you talk about. Yeah, it.
1: Yeah, they want to hear that, your passion, and, and whether they agree with it or not. Exactly. Right. And, 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 and
0: the, the obstacles that Haslam has, of course, he would say they're financial concern. They're, there's a political roadblocks yeah. in the in the state senate, in right. house, and then the philosophical questions allegedly revolving around maybe social issues that he doesn't want to broach. And and right. so I, I get all of that. I understand all of that. And that's an important reality just to understand because when you're looking at expanding something like this, you certainly need to figure into the equation what terry just so eloquently spoke about which is the human being there's a face behind it
1: but there were people that were rolled off of the other 10 care um uh products uh at the time of obamacare kicking in in january so well it depends on what the definition of the word is is I'm i'm kidding But but some folks did have to to leave the plan, 10-care plan, because of Obamacare at the beginning. beginning. One
0: of the things that you have to do as a U.S. senator is to appoint um, not only – political appointments because the president's going to nominate somebody more than likely, and then you have to come in and approve them through the legislative process. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big questions, Supreme Court justices, as these folks are rolling off, you have new justices that are going to be appointed. Now, if we have another Democrat elected president in 2015 or when the next presidential election, then you may have more liberally leaning uh, judges that come on. The, the common thought by most people is that liberal equals protecting a woman's choice on abortion and that that we believe that they believe that it should be legal. I'll tell you, I don't believe that abortion should be legal. I think, as a matter of fact, I think that it is one of the biggest crimes of humanity, in my opinion. I think that killing a baby, no matter what term they're in, should be illegal, and God will— honestly pay back the people that are murdering children in America. I'm just going to tell you, it's one of the biggest stains on this country. And if it doesn't get stopped then there'll be, there'll be consequences and the consequences are emotional. They're financial and they do not um, go away quickly. So that's my opinion about it. And I know it's a difficult subject, Terry. I know that it's very hard to, to articulate where you stand on it because of the seriousness of it. President Obama used to believe, um, more in life uh, pro-life and he's since changed that now he's more pro-choice
2: so in your opinion tell me tell me how you feel about abortion it's a big issue well you know i it is a big issue and i and i'll tell you right now i mean for me and my family i'm pro-life and i will tell you that i do I, i believe in the united states of america i believe in freedom i believe in freedom of speech i believe in freedom of religion and i think that we ought to be all free to practice our own respective religions or not practice any religion at all. And I do not think that the United States government or the state government, the state government of Tennessee, Stacey Campfield or any of those guys ought to be making those decisions for Tennessee families, period. I think that is between, just like what you said, Kevin, because I, I, I think that you hit, you hit the nail on the head. If if somebody makes those choices, and they have to answer for it to a higher power than the United States government or anybody else. I mean, that is between them and their God. Mm. And but I just do not think that we ought to be crossing the line and having uh, you know, particularly a. Uh, Congress and Senate, which is just disproportionately made up of a bunch of men, a bunch of white men mm-hmm. who uh, are deciding what women ought to be doing with their own bodies. And, and you know, I, I totally appreciate your position. I appreciate a- anybody's uh, position, especially from a, a religious perspective, because mm-hmm. I'm a religious and spiritual person myself. I just don't think... That, uh, that the government ought to be involved in legislating um, religious beliefs. So so then
0: you would say that if a judge were to be appointed to the Supreme Court and they were pro-life, you would take that into account, but you would certainly not make a decision one way or another because you want you know of the greater good. And that's where I struggle because I want to support our president. I want to support our congressmen, our senators. I want to support you, and I do it's it's what i have a problem with is when senators cross the line of um deciding to make a choice based upon killing a child i'm sorry mm-hmm. and 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 me supporting them for any other issue so so there's some gray area there and i'm still a kind of interpreting that in myself as well but but you would you would not vote against a supreme court
2: justice because they're pro life i no i i, I think that uh, number 1 this idea that has come up, you know, in in our lifetime, Kevin, uh, or pro choice, I mean, uh, of these these litmus tests, all, all of these, you know, what what we what makes a great Supreme Court justice, whether it's a Supreme Court justice as a state of Tennessee or whether it's a Supreme Court justice of the United States of America, is a independent judicial and jurisprudential uh, jurisprud- thought the The ability to take the law and to interpret it in a way that it represents what what the intent of of the precedent was, mm-hmm. and and uh, and what the intent of the Congress is, and you know, I it, it has always bothered me that we. Uh, we've started to politicize and i guess we've always in a way politicized the supreme court but it's a bad idea Mm -hmm. i mean when our justice system becomes right or left or republican or democrat we're in big big trouble and we can't allow it to happen and you know i i think you know we talked about sort of some of the big big issues of the day i mean i i will i will Tell everybody, you know, listening that there's a there's a retention election for our Supreme Court um, this this year that a group of people have decided to politicize to say that we want to overthrow our uh, the Tennessee State Supreme Court so we can appoint our own Attorney General. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of stuff yeah. is terrible, and we and we've got to do better if, as as a society. We've got to just say enough is enough.
0: Well, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming in and sharing this time with us, Terry thank you so much and i think that this is a great conversation we need to continue it because let's face it we all are here because we want to do what's best for our families for our kids our grandkids and ultimately america america is what is the most important part of this equation because it's where we're going to where's where we're going to spend our time our money and our talents so let's get out there let's vote let's talk to our candidates Senator Alexander, respond to our emails, respond to our phone calls. We really appreciate you guys partnering with us, coming in and listening, sharing your experience, your strength, and your hope. And Terry, we want to thank you. So we'll see you next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find
1: out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.